The Fire Store, equipping protectors with passion. Every decision the Fire Store makes as a company is about its customers. As the holiday season has quickly approached, explore a wide selection of unique and practical gifts at the Fire Store's gift center. Find the perfect presence for firefighters, EMTs, and first responders today. The Fire Store's goal is to get you the gear you need when you need it at prices you can afford. Visit thefirestore.com for everything but the truck and shop its family of brands including Streamlight, MSA, Lion, Fleer, and more. Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit magnagrip.com. I'm sorry, I was grooving to the music. Sorry about that. What's up, Tommy boy? How you doing? Uh, we're on the back step, buddy. We are, man. Hey, uh, this is Ronnie K., the good-looking guy with the big mustache. I got the little mustache. That's Tommy A. out in New Mexico. I'm here in New York. Uh, it's getting chilly here, brother. It was uh, We had frost on the old pumpkin this week. So I, uh, we're getting toward that. This morning was the uh, first time I had to scrape ice off the windshield. Ah, here it comes. Yeah, nice. so get ready. Yeah, what, what are they predicting for your neck of the woods uh, for the winter? Uh, it depends on who you listen to. Uh, it's either going to be Armageddon or Snowmageddon. Or Snowmageddon. In the 50-degree range again. Okay. Yeah, I think uh, uh, I think Farmer's Almanac said we're in for a whopper, and, and I think the National Weather Service agrees with them. So it's all part of this El Nino, La Nina, and all the rest of the kids running around making bad weather. So, uh, yeah, it is what it is. I, I, I always say that's why God, God invented four-wheel drive. Yeah. You know? <laughs> let, let it be so. Let it be so. What can I tell you, man? Um, so, uh, have you just, said, oh, just yeah. – I know you drive into the city every day, but have you got the access to mass transit? Uh, yeah, I do actually. Uh, the uh, the metro the Metro North Railroad runs up into Westchester County. Um, the the station's about probably two miles from here. You know, uh, Fran and I went in on on a railroad a couple like twice. She got me on a railroad like twice. That's it. I'm not a train guy. We took the railroad. We had to go to a hospital in Manhattan. So let's take the railroad. Okay. So she loves the train. So Metro North from Northern Westchester down through the Bronx into Harlem. It's the Harlem line, they call it. And then we got off at 42nd Grand Central Station. It was it was as crowded as Grand Central Station. Okay. So can you get out? You got to try to get a cab. There's a line to get a cab at Grand Central. So you wait on line. Then we take that to the hospital. Then and it, none of this was cheap. That was from we can't we couldn't park at, at the train station because you need a monthly permit. So we took a a, a, ca a taxi from the house to the train, took the train, bought the round trip tickets, the the uh, the uh, cab up to the hospital, back from the hospital, lunch, back, blah blah blah. It's a three hundred dollar day. It was like, no, wow. we're not doing this anymore. Like, the round trip tickets were like forty or fifty a piece, and I just it's like no. I like the privacy of my car. I don't have to smell anybody's ass or none of that stuff. You know, I just, I'm not a train guy. So, but I, I do have access. But if I went to work that way, it would take me like 
twice as long as it taking me in the car. Hmm. Yeah, because I'd have to go down again to Grand Central, then get a regular subway train, which I'm not going on in New York City, and take that from Manhattan all the way down into Brooklyn and then walk. Nah, it's a big nah for me. Okay, so I just keep fixing the car. That's all. We did a transmission two months ago. We did a starter two weeks ago. You'd be happy to hear. We got flatbed at home on a Saturday uh, because my starter went. The starter had two starts left in it. We got It got us to the mall from the house. And then from the mall to the restaurant for lunch on a Saturday, we came out, done. So called AAA and uh, waited for the big flatbed to come, and we put a new starter in it. Ironically, I work with a guy who loves my he loves my rig. And he's, he says, I'm listen, I'm a used car guy. When you're ready to get rid of it, I want your truck. Huh. So every few weeks I come and tell him what his next used car is being rebuilt. I, you know, I says, hey, by the way, your next used car got a new transmission. Your next used car got a new starter. He says, great. Keep replacing all that shit before you give it to me, so. He's kind of happy about that. Uh, so so uh, I, I guess, Dad, you got I have, yeah, I have something to start, but if you want to start, uh, by all means. Yeah, uh, you know, we were uh, talking uh, before we uh, got on the air about uh, historical fires, and uh, I had mentioned to you that uh, documentary I just saw. Actually, Billy G. had it uh, posted up on Firefighter Close Calls, and it's called Angels Too Soon. And it's on the uh, Lady of the Angels fire in Chicago that happened in December of 58. Uh, and, Ron, you were telling me you just read a book on that. And uh, I'm curious as to how the book was. It was incredible. Uh, it's it's an incredibly sad story. Um, it's called To Sleep with the Angels. Uh, see if I have if I threw it up on this shelf over here. Uh, yes, I, I can hold it up for the viewing audience. Uh, and, and and I'm just I'm just kind of a half a fire historian, but I think I think all of us at all capacities in the fire service have to know and understand the historical fires and the significance they've had on the fire service codes and all the rest of the stuff. This is the book, Sleep with the Angels, the story of a fire. Okay. And it's incredibly sad. Uh, Ninety-five people got killed, ninety-two children, uh between first and sixth grade, and uh three nuns that worked at the school, uh, you know, and so what comes from that, you know, is, is, you know, there's no more open wooden stairwells in schools anymore. There are fire alarms. Modern schools have sprinklers. They do fire drills once a month, all this other stuff. So, you know, those, those hard lessons learned from the past. So uh, if, if you're any kind of a, a, into any hist uh, fire hist history geek like myself, to sleep with the angels. I, I got a, I got two shelves full of books like this, and that that's the shame of the whole thing. I have two shelves of books just like this. You know, we were talking before off the air, the Collinwood School Fire in 1908 in, in Cincinnati. And, I mean, the list is forever. You know, it's it's, it's the, the Station Nightclub and the Beverly Hills Supper Club in Kentucky in 77. And 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 the, the, the thing about Lady of Angels, the Collinwood School in, in 1908 and this one in 58, it's almost the same story. The building with open wooden staircases, transoms over the door. And the fire ran through it, taking everything with it. So uh, I, I, I urge, I urge uh, all of our people, you know, all of our fire service people, take an interest in the historic fires that, that happened, not just in your neighborhood, but all over the country. And and, uh, and uh, from you know, what I'm and gathering, you know, uh, you know, that was kind of something that uh, we were taught coming up of uh, that this fire was really the. Uh, the driving force of revamping uh, 
code enforcement in schools. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. Well, every 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 school system in the country stopped, and they they did inspections on every school in the United States after this fire. They weren't paying too much attention to it. Don't forget, also in 1908, at at the Collinwood fire, the, there was no like national media. You know, it, it, it was in and around the Cincinnati area, and that's it. It never really made it across the country. But in 58, by that time, television is alive and well. You know, they have networks and, and people and newspapers, and they can get the story out. So this was the one. Lady of the Angels is the one that talked about combustible construction in schools and open wooden stairwells and, and all that stuff that contributed to, to the – the window sills were too high. The kids were little. They couldn't jump up on a window sill to either try to jump – even into the firemen's nets once the fire department got there because uh, they were too little and they couldn't reach the window. So, so a lot of stuff. Again, the transom window over the doorway, you know, for ventilation, you know, in, in, in a hot summer day as schools winding down in June. But the fire came right through those windows into the classroom. So uh, tough lessons learned, uh, tough lessons learned. But, uh, but uh, yeah, you, you have to kind of understand your fire history a little bit uh to, to, to know where we are now. Like, it's my old saying, you can't know where you're going to, you yeah. know where you've been. You know, the, it's, it's uh, I was surprised, and I haven't read that book, but uh, I, it's definitely on the to-do list. But uh, the documentary went into the fact that there was a 13-year-old that confessed to starting that fire. There was... Yeah, he, 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 was, uh, he, was in, he was in the school at the time, he wasn't looked at uh, for that, but when he moved to another town outside of Chicago, they had a series of small fires, and he got caught. Yeah, Cicero was where he wound up. Yeah, so as as the detective spoke to him, and they gave him a lie detector and all this other stuff, they put two and two together. And so, where, you know, where did you live in 1958? Well, we lived in Chicago. What school did you go to? Well, Lady of the Angels. Then all of a sudden, you know, their jaws dropped, and they, they put two and two together, and, and – uh, they believe, you know, they, he, he knew the layout of the basement of the school. It started in the basement, you know, in the in the boiler room in the janitor's area. Uh, they actually held the janitor, the, the townspeople held the janitor accountable. Yeah, I uh, remember reading that part about it somewhere. Yeah, that that guy, he he, he kind of lost the rest of his life. He, he didn't lose his life, but but he actually was, according to the book, according to the story, he he tried, he helped. He, he was a few blocks away at another, at another Catholic school because he kind of had two or three buildings to take care of and was coming back and ran to the building and tried to get the kids out. And they, uh, the townspeople blamed him. They shunned this guy. And uh, he, he just died of a broken heart. Eventually this guy, it was, it was pretty bad. And then years yeah. later they caught up with this other kid who, uh, you know, who was like a sixth grader at the time. And uh, they realized it was probably him. So yeah, it's a tragic story, but when, you know, it's when I read it, it was like reading the book from 1908, the same story, same fire, you know, traveled up the wooden stairs. The kids were trapped. Blah blah blah. So uh, lessons learned. You know, you go into public school, pretty a, a public school built after 1960 today, and it's probably got concrete walls and tile and metal stairs, treads, and they're enclosed. And, and of course, the, the newer schools are probably sprinkled. You know, I haven't been in a school in a long time, but the newer ones are probably sprinkled. They all got fire alarms. We know that. You know, and all that stuff. So, you know, when I was a freshman in college, Tommy. My lifelong, I met my lifelong mentor there, Jim Murtog. Jim was a, a young lieutenant in, in New York at that time. I went to school in Manhattan. And, and in, in my first fire science class, firefighter, fire science 101, uh, we talked about fire codes. And Jimmy said, you have to understand two things. 
Number one, the codes in this country are written with blood. He says, and the second thing is we practice tombstone legislation in this United States. And he, ha he hasn't been wrong in my, in my last 49 years in the fire service. You know, I heard that when I was 17. He's absolutely right. Uh, it's, uh, you know, closing the barn door after the hand, the horse escapes. Uh, yeah, it is. It is. So, uh, with that being said, so we could talk, I could talk fire history all night. Maybe we'll have a night of, of historic fires. I was just telling Tommy off the air, I'm starting a new initiative at my job. I'm going to document a fire every month with a little write-up on a fancy letterhead and get it out. I work in the Bureau of Fire Prevention. I want to remind our people what our mission is every chance I get. And don't drop the ball and don't let things fall through the cracks and use your inspector eye and report things. And, and uh, because we don't want to have those catastrophes of the past, not in New York City and not anywhere else where you work out there in uh, television land. So uh, we, uh, we I, I hate to start on, on a down note uh, other than these tragic fires. Um, we lost an EMT in New York City this week. A, a young guy, 43 years old, had a medical emergency, 22 years on the job. Just want to pay a little homage to Fred Whiteside, our, our FDNY EMT. And uh, uh, there was something else here that I put down. Um, give me a second. It was him. And it'll come to me. I didn't make a note on that, but I did want to mention uh, uh, Freddie Whiteside from uh, FDNY uh, EMS. Uh, I got a bunch of stuff written down, Tom. You, you want to you wanna kick us off with something some burning issue, like we say? Yeah, I do. And, you know, I, I get something under my skin every once in a while, and I try to remain calm. But uh, the the shipboard fire that occurred in uh, Port Newark back on July 5th. Did you I knew that was coming, buddy. Go ahead. you uh, take a look at the advanced uh, New Jersey media stories on that? I, yes, I have. I read them. I, I knew that, uh, you know, Newark had probably become uh, more complacent than they should have in doing marine firefighting stuff, even though the port is under their jurisdiction, even though the port authority runs that. Apparently, the only fire protection the port authority provides is at the airports. And the ports are left to be protected by their local fire departments, which is great if your local fire department knows how to deal with shipboard firefighting. But uh, the, the article was kind of an eye-opener for me because uh, it really pointed out how unprepared the fire department was to deal with a major shipboard fire. Uh, and, of course, Newark is one of our largest ports in in the United States, somebody just kind of dropped the ball. And uh, our good friend Glenn Corbett was uh, quoted in the article a couple times. But, you know, Glenn pointed out that uh, the incident basically completely overwhelmed the fire department. Uh, minimal training uh, just doesn't cut it with dealing with that kind of stuff. And of course, the city had no written plan on how to deal with uh, a fire of that magnitude on a ship. Uh, there was a firehouse set down there in the port on Doremus Avenue, I think it was, Engine 32. That got closed in 1983 and had never reopened. So you had an empty firehouse sitting down there. Uh, 
the National Transportation Safety folks, who were part of the investigation, issued a warning two two years prior to this fire about some of the inherent hazards of the way they store vehicles on those ships. And uh, that one was on its way down to, uh, I think it was West Africa, with what they basically said were junk vehicles. But uh, it kind of reminded me of uh, the Southwest supermarket fire in Phoenix that occurred uh, many years ago where uh, Brett Tarver lost his life. And Phoenix was pretty transparent about the fact that they were employing residential fire tactics in a commercial building. Well, the- I, heard, I heard that. From, I heard that from Brunacini himself. Yeah. Well, Brunacini actually said that publicly. Here's a, a, another kind of eye opener. You don't want to use residential fire tactics on a shipboard fire either, because apparently things are not going to go well. You got two firefighters that became disoriented, got off the line. We've uh, we've seen that happen in the past in commercial buildings and even in some residential structures. But the early reports are that there was a uh, a car fire uh, that started this whole mess out in, in an area where hundreds of other vehicles were stored. And, uh, of course, with uh, all great tragedies, the finger pointing has started. Uh, the American Maritime Services is the company who was uh, responsible for loading cars on that ship. And uh, they've already been in court uh, a couple times on this incident, uh, dealing with some evidentiary uh, issues. And they've already said that, hey, uh, in our court proceeding, we, we are pointing out that the, the Newark Fire Department is going to be involved in litigation on this. So they're coming after the fire department. Uh, oh, yeah. Right, wrong, or indifferent. And uh, one of the other kind of contributing factors, or at least what kind of jumped out at me, was uh, there was fixed fire protection on the ship, but we run into an issue of uh, the threads on the ship were certainly not national standard. And they had a lot of time. Uh, probably spent uh, trying to figure out where uh, couplings, adapters, and other things were that uh, they probably shouldn't even have messed with. Uh, There's been other fire departments with maritime experience that said, we don't even mess with the onboard stuff. We're bringing our own hoses with us. Right. So they're not dealing with issues like that. But... uh, the coordination uh, now that this has passed uh, between the uh, Port Authority and the uh, the fire departments, uh, they're, they're starting to say maybe we should pay more attention to this stuff. Well, like in the wake of many great tragedies of, yeah, well, we should have thought that a little bit beforehand. You know, add insult to injury. Uh, and I don't know whether it would have made any difference or not, but Nork's fireboat was out of service uh, for the incident. They uh, ended up relying on you guys, Ron, 
coming over and uh, assisting in the efforts. Uh, yeah, I, I think the the two the, the thing that, that jumped out at me also was uh, Jersey City Fire was called in, and their rescue company found one of the guys, and one of our rescue companies found another guy. You know, so they they went in there and they they, they found them, which which thank goodness they found them at least. Um, but Augie uh, uh, and, and Bear Brooks, yeah, yeah. two guys from Newark, that uh, lost their lives in this this tragedy and. Uh, the lessons learned it kind of struck me as weird but you know i don't i don't have a lot of maritime stuff out uh in our neck of the woods uh but i would have uh, assumed that uh niosh would have been uh, involved in the investigation of the line of duty deaths but it looks like the coast guard and the ntsb are actually heading up the investigations which, you know, not being familiar with either one of those entities' investigation prowess, uh, I, I, I am curious as to what their fire experience is and whether they'll be able to put that to work and uh, try and determine uh, responsibilities. Well, I, I, think the, I think the Coast Guard is going to have a, a better handle on that side of it because they, they're all shipboard firefighters themselves. You know, and they, they learn to fight fire aboard ship because they, they're out there in the middle of nowhere themselves, just like the Navy guys. You know, you got hull technicians and, and you got Navy firefighters that are on board. Uh, even I think we, we've talked about the, the sub fire that happened up in Maine a couple of years back when I was working in Connecticut. I was near the Groton sub base and had some extensive talks with the chief at the Groton sub base, uh, Tommy Clapsaddle. And, and uh, he said they're not trained. The base fire departments aren't trained to go on the submarines. The ship's forces fight the fire, even if it's important. Even if it's important, the ship's forces fight the fire. The base fire department goes down there. They do water supply. If they say, we need another 30 CO2 extinguishers, they get them those. But they don't go on a ship. And the guys up in Maine, when they had the sub fire, they didn't go on a ship. The base fire department told the two-star admiral who was jumping up and down and doing cartwheels on the pier, I'm not putting my men on that boat. Chief stood up to him, but his people were not trained. He said, I'm not killing somebody tonight. I'm not doing it. So he kind of, and he was right. At the end of the day, he, he was right. So I, I you know, I, I, we, we look at the, at the Newark fire and, and not, we're not beating up on the Newark fire department. We never do that here. We just, we look at the situation and we look at, you know, the, the investigation will play out, you know, keep our guns holstered and all that stuff. But you, you have to, you have to believe that again, you, you, you're protecting one of the largest ports in the United States. And how are you not prepared for that? You know, and, 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 and it, it came out almost that night when, when they were on television, the chief and his deputies. And he said, I'm, I don't know how much prepared we were for this. You know, it's like, wow, there it is. You know, so. so and, and you know what? We talk about other things. We talk about other things like this. Um, everybody, everybody and their cousin, brother-in-law, sister-in-law, grandma, grandpa, everybody in the fire service and all their relatives, okay, in the last 25 years have bought a brand new pumper with a 60-gallon foam cell on it, okay? I will tell you, a 9,000-gallon tank of gasoline on its side burning in the middle of town, that 60-gallon foam cell ain't, probably ain't going to do it. But, but how often do we practice foam operations? We don't. We don't. You know, what's his name? Uh, Gordon Graham talks about the low-frequency, high-consequence events. They don't happen that often, but when they happen, like a plane crash, okay? So who are the guys that, that do plane crash? Well, the guys that are, that are in or around an airport have probably a little bit of plane crash stuff. 
everybody in the country should be practicing for a don't tell me an airplane can't come down in the middle of Farmington, New Mexico. Of course it can. It can come down right here in Westchester. A plane, and I, we got we got a major airport, Westchester Airport. So, it, if you know, it, it, we say, uh, you know, we're not near the airport. Doesn't matter. Planes come out of the sky everywhere. You know, so it, those are those the, those are those things. Sometimes we got to look at and say, eh, maybe we should we should have something on this. You know, and I it's it's a little bit out of the box for for some people. You know, I, I put some of this stuff because <clears throat> I'm a student. I'm a perpetual student and I'm a reader. I put it in front of my firefighters, you know, when I was my last command in in, uh, in Connecticut. And they look at me like, what are you talking about? And I said, how often we practice, how often we practice from home? I said, look outside on the highway. I said, we're right on Route 7 here. I said, the tankers are running up and down all day long, all day. We're prepared for that? We're ready? You're telling me we're ready for that? I don't think we are. You know, so... We, we got we got foam operations put on. I got foam operations put onto the 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 annual training thing at least once a year, you know. And and let's make foam, and let's see how many how many outlets we can get it out of, and how effective it is, and all that stuff. So, it's, you know, it's, the, it, uh, the uh, the article pointed out that uh, they didn't have a lot of incidents at the port, which is a good thing. But it is a good thing. The complacency monster shows up again and bites you on the ass. And, uh, and it happened here. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. I because because it's like, well, you know, it's like you know, we talk about this with high rise all the time, and we've had some dynamite high rise discussions in the last couple of months, haven't we, Tom? Oh yeah. <laughs> we had two or the three authors uh, uh, of the new high rise book that's out. Um, you know, the vertical challenge. Uh, Jack Murphy and Jerry Tracy. Uh, Jack, uh, Jerry was live two weeks ago at the High Rise Fire Safety Directors Conference in, in Brooklyn. Uh, I got to see him do his do some of his act. Boy, let me tell you something. You want to treat yourself, go to a class when Jerry Tracy's teaching. Boy, I tell you, he's got a lot of energy, that guy. I, oh, yeah. I want to have his energy his age and, 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 and really understands and knows his shit also. I mean, the guy's he's just a pro up and down. Uh, so to, to look at high rises, you know, and I, and that's why I, I ask guys all the time, you know, I, I got a basic high rise one-on-one class that I do and, and guys that have high rises, even when I teach that class, I do it in New Jersey four or five times a year. I'm doing one next week for a fire department. And I say, how, when's the last time you went out to one of your high rises and tried the red fire phones, just pick up the red phone in, in, in the, in the panel I take one of the phones with the jacks, go up to the to the twenty fifth floor, or the fifteenth floor, plug it in, and just test it. Jerry tells a great story. Jerry tells a great story when he's a battalion chief in Midtown, or he's a captain in Midtown. They go on a call to a high rise building. He takes his standard key and puts it in to put the elevators in phase one just to see if they'll come down. Doesn't work. He gets a hold of the building guy, the fire safety director. He says, "My key is not pulling us down. Try your key." He puts it. It's not working. You know how? To, well, know what the investigation showed? There are contractors that go around to the fancy high rises and, and polish all the brass. Okay, and there's some sort of a, co- a corrosive in there, and they're going over the keyhole, and it ate up the tumblers inside the lock. Wow! Wow! You're not kidding! Wow! Wow! So he said, his the moral of his story is: if you don't go out and try this shit, it might not work when you need it. And he found that just, you know, they went on a run and it's not working. Yeah, well, guess what happened? And so through investigation, they found out that that, that was the case. So you, you got to get out. I, I, I always, you know, how many of you tried the fire phones? No hands go up. How many of you been to the building 
to see where, where the fire pump is in the basement to try to know where, how to turn it on. No hands go up. It's, this is time after time after time. I said, do you guys think that you're going to pull this off at 2 o'clock in the afternoon with 3,000 people in that high-rise building with a fire on a 20th floor and just, just wing it? You can't wing it. It doesn't work that way. No. So, you know, the, the, the ship fire in Newark and, and a gasoline tanker and a high-rise building, these are all of these, low, again, low-frequency, high-consequence. Look what happened. We lost two guys in, in Newark on a boat. So it's I, I, all these things, when they happen, they got to be a wake-up call. And that's that's kind of our preach. You know, Tommy, Tommy, you and I, that's our preach, especially here on this forum, on our show, is is you got to pay attention to what's going on around you. And you got to, like Tommy always says, I can quote him, heed the lessons learned. Yeah. You know, if, if, if you don't, if you, if you have a port, you're even a marina. After that fire in Newark, you should all been down at your ports and marinas looking around saying, okay, where's the water supply? Can we make foam here? Or how are we going to operate on a boat? I mean, whatever. You we had a fire one night when I was the chief in uh, my last command in Connecticut. We got called into the city of Norwich, and they have something called Three Rivers. Three Rivers actually come together, and there's a marina downtown, and the water down there is treacherous because these three rivers are coming together, and it's, it's like Hellgate in Manhattan. It's just... You fall in there, we'll never see you again, right? So the guy said they had a fire, they had a boat fire. So we went and we stood by kind of like a fast team, okay, even though we weren't going to, you know, if, I don't know if the guys got trapped in a boat, my guys probably would have went on to try to get him out. But they came back and they said, you know what, Chief? We were looking at, at the, the water, the way it's swirling, the way it's rushing. If one of our guys falls in there, it's over. So I got a hold of the Chief, uh, Chief Kenny Scan, and, and we had a meeting. And I said, I said, what do you do for your guys? I mean, are they wearing, are they wearing, if they go out on a dock, once you go past the land end and you're not, and you could fall in the water, are they wearing, are they wearing PFDs? And he said, no. I said, well, let's take a look at this together. So we looked at it and I bought, they, it almost, if, if you watch, uh, if you watch Deadliest Catch, you'll see the guys wearing them. It almost looks like a horse collar. It's very, it looks like a, like a round thing, but that's actually a life jacket. It's very thin, very unobtrusive so they can work. But if, if they pull the thing, it'll and it'll keep the head above the water. So I bought them for my guys. I said, if you respond down to the dock for a fire in the city, just put them on over your turnout coat. It'll keep if you fall in, it'll keep your head above the water so you can breathe. You know. And then we went to do further testing. As you know, I, I was at the Mohegan Sun. This is when I, this is when I was up at Mohegan. That this thing happened with the three rivers. Uh, after we, we looked, we were looking at the the life preservers. We said we some we started to investigate. Can you float in your turnout gear? Because I remember as a young Boy Scout, I had to take my life-saving merit badge. Part of it was we used to go into the pool or into the lake with our uniform on, our Scout uniform. Button the top button, open the second button, and blow into your shirt, and your shirt would blow up. And it was it was a, a, a built-in life preserver. And then you take your pants off while you're shredding water, tie a knot in the legs, and throw it over your head and slap the water. Boom. And then that would go up and you could stick that around your neck. So I learned all of these kind of, you know, life-saving techniques for yourself. I said, well, what happens with turnout gear? So being we were working in a resort, I got the indoor pool for 11 o'clock at night one night when it was closed to the people. And we went down there with turnout gear. And we had, I put two guys in there with bathing suits as the safety team. And then we had guys going in with their gear on in the deep end to see if they could float. And and the answer, even with boots on and everything, full turnout gear, 
one, one guy with a bottle, one without. We did it without the bottle mostly. And it turns out when you hit the water, your gear kind of puffs up and there's air in it because you have air inside. If you fight, you'll get the air out and you're going, Shh. but if you stay calm, I had guys floating 15, 20 minutes as long as they stayed calm in the water. So, you know, all these little, when it, when it surfaces, when something comes up and somebody asks a question, it's like, if you don't do anything about it, shame on you. You know, you got it. So we learned that turnout gear will help us float for a little while, you know, and you can get an unobtrusive collar, not to wear to every job, but you're going down to the water, pull them out of the compartment, slip them on, clip them on. God forbid you fall in, pull a string, you know, and and all these other things, you know. But uh, I teach you how to stay afloat now, blowing into your shirt, buddy. First time you heard that. I'm, I'm going to make a note. <laughs> you know you're hanging out with an, eagle, an old Eagle Scout, right? So, you right. know, I, some stuff I just, you know, it stays with you, you know. You, uh, you <laughs> and Rick Mason are my two favorite Eagle Scouts. Yes. Yes, yes, I know Rick Mason's part of the club, and so is Ron Sonicky, by the way. Really? <laughs> yeah, Ronnie's Ronnie's. Uh, uh, he was actually, I think, awarded the Distinguished Eagle Award uh, in recent years to, for all his life's work by the Boy Scouts of America. Yes, so, uh, but uh, yeah, and I, and I get that's you know that's a little bit of bragging rights being an Eagle Scout. It was yeah. for a seventeen-year-old kid, it was a pretty big thing, you know. But certain things you don't forget because you know we did like we just we just do knots. That's all we do: knots, knots, knots. We did speed knots. We had a guy that that can make nine knots in twenty nine seconds. And some of them were like you know you need a post like a half hitch, three quarter hitch, clove hitch. He used his legs. He'd be tying them on his legs, bending down. Like he, he was an older guy. You know he was like in his forties, but he could do nine knots in thirty seconds. It's just some of that stuff just stays with you. You know, just yeah, just, I had the. Uh... The honor of uh, teaching part of the latest Farmington recruit class at the college. And uh, I, I like talking to the young guys. And uh, I, I tried to impart on them some of the wisdom you imparted on me was that fire prevention is really the, the base of firefighter safety. And a lot of them were like, well, you know, we never really thought of it like that. I said, but if, if you really think about it, and, and, and I harp on them about pre-planning, I said, you got to know your district. I said, you could look at downtown Farmington, which is uh, pretty much 30s, 40s style construction. I said, who can tell me which buildings have the tie rods in them that are holding the building together? Well, how do we do that? I said, you look on the outside of the building. I said, how many of you know there's a block in downtown Farmington that looks like it's probably six or seven different occupancies that all have a common basement? Unless you're out there looking for that stuff, you ain't going to find it. And it's really not written down as, as well as it should be for us to be able to pull that up on a pre-plan and say, yeah, you got a basement job in here. Yeah, you might as well start the the resource festival because it's all going to the ground. Yeah, I, I, and that's that's kind of thing I've been, I've been preaching for a long time, you know, and I think it's because my, my roots started in, in fire prevention. Then I went on a line for, for 30 years, but I carried that with me, you know, and, and trying to convince firefighters it's it's in their own best interest to get out and do fire prevention work 
listen, if there's no fires, you're going to be bored, but nobody gets hurt. Nobody, nobody gets hurt or killed when there's no fires. Yeah. You know, so that, that's a good thing, you know, so that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, so I saw something interesting, Tom. Uh, they, they had a car bomb explosion uh, at the Niagara Falls, the Canada-New York crossing. Really? Today or yesterday, yeah. They're thinking it was terrorism, too. Two people dead. The two people in the car are dead. Uh, the bomb went off right when they were in that that toll booth, you know, where you go through customs kind of thing. And, yeah, uh, just the well, car just exploded. I don't know. It came up really fast and blew up right under that little tunnel there. So uh, it, they're thinking it was an act of terrorism. Did it, which side did it come from, do you know? Yeah, Canada into U.S. Okay. Yeah, Canada into U.S. So, uh, yeah, that was an interesting thing to pop, popped off the screen. I mean, it's like, oh. Uh, wow. <laughs> and I, again. I, I had heard that the threat levels up in the city. Uh, yeah, big time. With, big uh, time. with the parade. Yeah. Yeah, big time. It was, it's been up really since October 7th, since, since Israel went into, into Palestine and the whole thing started in the Middle East again. So it's, it's been up for everything. Uh, there, there was one morning I was going to, into Brooklyn from home, uh, going to headquarters and uh, coming down the West Side Highway. And there's, there's a cop car like on every other corner and lights going and everything. And it's not a lot of traffic that time of the day. And I said, I know the president's not in town. Usually when the president's in town, they're lined up getting ready to shut off streets and all that. And and it was there was just something going on, man. I mean, just, you know, it's it's uh, it's we're, we're in that we're in that that thing again with, with, with this with the Middle East thing. And I don't, I don't necessarily want want to get to that. But uh, it. Uh, yeah, I. I the, the, the city is there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in the city there's there's the 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 the, may, the uh the mayor's campaign manager got raided by the fbi they took his telephone there's all kinds of stuff going on stuff and there's stuff involving the fire department that i can't even talk about you know but so, so it's just it's churning new york city's churning right now and and uh hopefully everything comes out okay and we can move on with our lives uh picked up on a really good article in fireengineering.com I don't know if you saw it, Tommy. It's called, I think I have it down here. It's about, we have to bring laughter back to the firehouse again. Did you see that? No, I haven't seen it, but uh, I got a, a point to make with you after you, you talk about it. Yeah, St- Stephanie White, Stephanie Wright wrote an article about bringing laughter back. And, and it was nice because at the head of the article, there's like three or four different pictures, collages, of like firemen just like historical patting each other on the back, laughing at a job or at, in the firehouse. And she talks about that. That because of the way society is today, that that we're, we're losing our laughter in the firehouse. You know, everybody's afraid to crack a joke, you know. And and she said she misses it too. You know, she 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 could give it out as much as she can get it being in the firehouse. She says she says I miss it. She says the firehouse is getting very serious. It's quiet. It's not what it used to be. And as she and she thought that that's like that's a big morale thing, you know, and and a big feel good thing and 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 a release. To have those kinds of laughs when you're busting each other's chops and breaking balls and all that other stuff. She wrote a really cool article about that. Uh, I we, we're doing an initiative now in the city for the fire department on on, on the leadership tied into uh, 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 geez, give me a second, diversity inclusion and tied into uh, uh, a, you know a non-hostile work environment and tied into leadership and tied into. So we're we've been working on this thing for months and. and Hopefully we're going to get it on the road next next quarter. Uh, but but I sent it to some of the bosses for that. I said take a look at this. 
you know, while while we, we're trying to, to rein people in from from that that old style of you know just calling everybody by the, by their racial name as a joke, you know, and, and all that stuff. And and God, we, we all heard that our whole careers, and now it's unacceptable. Society says that's not right. So okay, so we have to change what society wants. But but she talks about that the left is going away in the firehouse. I recommend you all read. It's online. It's it's right on fireengineering.com. I think it's still on the front page. It's still posted up there. It's by uh, Stephanie White. She does a lot of writing for the mag. And uh, she makes a great point. I think she just makes a great point. I got uh, my good friend and uh, was an engineer here in Farmington for 35 years. Uh, probably the longest serving guy in the department, Steve Watery. Steve came out of uh, Middletown, New York. Uh, and came over with a number of guys from the department there, but he was the one that uh, coined the uh, the expression that working at the firehouse is like being in thirteenth grade. <laughs> I never heard that. That's good. Uh, it, it made sense. So thirteenth grade. Uh, a month or so ago, I was uh, down in Galveston, Texas, teaching uh, one of the two day National Fire Academy courses. And they, uh, they just built uh, a headquarters station a couple of years ago and a, a beautiful building. And uh, the assistant chief and I got to chatting and uh, he said they had a lot of input from the union as to uh, living quarters. And the guy said, we don't want individual bedrooms. We want to go back to the common dorm, which warms the cockles of my heart. For you know the time I spend in the, the the sleeping quarters, some of the shenanigans that were going on with uh, with that type of living, but it's been my observation, right, wrong, or indifferent, that if they've got their own rooms to go hide in, the guys weren't eating together, the guys weren't hanging out watching TV at night. Uh, a lot of the camaraderie had kind of disappeared when everybody kind of went through their own corner. But uh, I would, it, it made me feel really good to see somebody recognize that, you know what, let's, let's go back to this. It's a good thing. For the first time I came across that, I, I did a three-day gig in uh, Bloomington, Indiana, and uh, uh, probably 15 years ago. The chief, the chief from Bloomington was, was in my session at FDIC, came up to me and said, you're coming to Bloomington. My people have to hear this. It was leadership. So three days. And at the, I got, I got in the night before late. And then, so the next day we're, we're, we're off to the races. So as, as it wound down at three, four o'clock, he says, we just built the brand new headquarters station, same thing, et cetera. So come on over. So I went over to see it and basically all the insert, the companies were in my class in service guys. So they all said, yeah, chief, come on over, see the new house. Beautiful quarters. I mean, absolutely. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't even, I spent three hours telling you how beautiful this firehouse was. But they, it was 15 years ago, it was brand new, and they did the individual bedrooms. And the young guys loved it, and the old-timers hated it. Because I, I, I said to them, I said, wow, you guys have got individual rooms, you got privacy. And the old-timers, we were having coffee uh, in, in the kitchen at about, I guess, 4, 4.30 or whatever. And uh, the two senior guys said, it's horrible. They said, it, it, we, you know, back in the day, you sat in the day room together, or if you went in the bunk room, 
everybody's together and you can have banter and you can have chatting and blah, blah, blah. Till somebody in the bunk room yelled, all right, it's 12 o'clock. Shut the fuck up. It's time to go to bed. You know, so we should be the senior guy, right? But he said, he said the young people in the firehouse now, he says, anytime they have that's off, that they're not training on a run, cleaning, whatever, if it's their own time, they shoot to their little private bedroom and shut the door. And they're on their phones or they're on their laptops. They said, you know, if we happen to be, it's a double house. So yeah. He says, I'm, I'm with the senior guy in the engine of the truck. He says, so it's just the two of us now. He says, now we kind of, we're buddies. We like each other, but that whole, that, that group camaraderie, all that was gone. And the, and the, the senior guys didn't like it at all, you know? And so, so to hear that, how, how recent is that, Tommy? Uh, I'm trying to think. How, how, old, how old is the firehouse? How old is that firehouse? I would say it's probably two or three years old. Beautiful quarters. And I mean, I had a great time out there. They took really good care of me. And uh, that was my first time on the Gulf Coast. Uh, thankfully, the hurricane didn't show up. And, uh, yeah, no kidding, because it usually does. <laughs> but it was, uh, it just it made me feel good that somebody else has recognized that and said, you know, yeah. let's, let's just go back to the way it was. Absolutely, because I, I, there's something to be said for that, and and that's kind of going away. And and you know we're having a lot of we've been meeting since March on this leadership initiative, and and some of the discussions we've had, you know, it, you know we're talking about like inclusion. You know, everybody needs to be included, and I I, I agree because the, I told them I said when I was hanging around the firehouse in the '70s and going to college in the '70s, the biggest brag about the New York City Fire Department, which probably helped for every fire department in the country, was you can walk into any firehouse and you can get anything done and you can get any question answered. You'll find an auto mechanic. You'll find an electrician. You'll find a carpenter. You'll find a shithouse lawyer. You'll find a, a, a financial consultant. No doubt about that, right? So to me, I, I don't know what, how that, how, why or how that went away, but but that was something that that – the department prided itself on. Like we got, we got one of everything. We there's nothing we can't do with this crew in this firehouse, you know. Well, and and so it, it's a little different today. You know, you have people from all over the world coming to New York and becoming firefighters. Okay, so the food's a little bit different. Well, let's try it. I never had that kind of food. Let's give it a shot. What the hell, you know? But uh, you know, I, to I, me, uh, if you don't take advantage, if you don't take advantage of that, you know, then then you're shortchanging yourself, you know. I've had the, the honor to travel all over the United States teaching firefighters. And the, the one thing that I was always so just amazed by that I have never walked into a firehouse and not been offered either a meal or someplace to sleep. And that, that kind of camaraderie, I think, is still there. But you got to make sure that that tradition continues. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I've, I've bragged that. I've boasted that with, with non-fire people, you know, with relatives and it's Christmas time or whatever you're visiting tomorrow. Tomorrow we're going to go eat ourselves silly. And, and, and I told, I told the people that worked the other day on the email, I said, have a happy Thanksgiving. I said, lucky for me, I've been overeating for three weeks, warming up for Thursday. So it doesn't hurt too much. <laughs> I mean, practice it. But uh, so we get together with family. And when I talk about it, I, I look them all in the eye. I said, there's no other occupation in the, in the world where you can walk into a place of the same business 
on the other side of the world and be welcome with open arms and get, get a meal, a cup of coffee or a bed, like you just said. I said, accountants can't do that. Cops can't do it. The, the teachers can't do it. We can do it. Walk into a firehouse anywhere, especially in this country. Oh, Show yeah. your shield and your ID. Say, listen, I'm out of money. Uh, I, I need a place to sleep. I'm starving to death. You know, whatever. And they'll take you in. They'll just take you in. Well, I'm tell, I tell a great story about, about our, our good friend, Chief McGrath, who we talked about last month, who passed away. When he was the chief in Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, he was visiting a firehouse at night for dinner when he first got there. And uh, at the same time, there was a knock on the door and two college girls. There's a couple of big universities in and around Raleigh. And uh, they come in and, and they say, you know, we're, we're stuck. So all of a sudden, you know, there's two college girls on the floor. And all of a sudden, there's 20 firefighters on the floor with him, right? So John's sitting in the kitchen by himself <laughs> saying, like, what the hell happened here? So he goes out and he, he puts two and two together. And one of them's crying. One of the girls is crying. So he, he walks over and takes charge and like he always did. And he said, what's the matter? She said, my father's a firefighter in wherever she was from, Wisconsin or Nebraska. She, he said, if I was ever in trouble to come to the nearest firehouse. He said, what's the matter? She said, my car is dead. It's two blocks away. So he said, first thing he said was, who's the mechanic in the house? Three guys raised their hand. He says, go look at this girl's car. Let's figure out what's wrong with it. They came back. It's her alternator. Took out his credit card, gave it to the guys and said, take the rig, go to an auto parts store, go get an alternator, buy it with my card. And she's saying, I have no money. I have no money. He goes, your father will send me a check. I'm not worried. He said, and the guys put the alternator in. It took him an hour. Got to take the belts off. Put the He says, she was on her way. I gave him my information. He says, three weeks later, I got a check and a very nice thank you note from dad. He said, but that's us. That's us. Doesn't happen everywhere with, with every occupation. And when I say occupation, I that's career and volunteer together. You're a firefighter, you're fire. I don't care. You know, the, you, Tommy, for me, I always say the stone in that the stones in Emmitsburg doesn't say that you were paid or not. No. You know, the names on the roster in Emmitsburg don't have don't have paid or volunteer. Those guys died no matter what. They died on the job, so doesn't matter. So I had to, this this is we're blessed. We're blessed. We've been part of this our whole lives. It was uh, always been one of my favorite stories. Of uh, I worked with a guy here in Farmington named Richard Smith. Uh, his brother was on the job in New York City, I think in the Marine Division, in fact. But uh, uh, Rich ended up getting hired. Uh, left Farmington, went to FDNY, and we we had kept in contact. God God rest his soul. He had died shortly after nine eleven. But uh, I'm back in Jersey visiting my family, and I call Richie. I was like, can I come by? He says, yeah. And at the time, he was at the PASA, <laughs> the Pride of Shetfield Avenue, uh, at the, the truck company there. He says, uh, you want to come over and ride? I said, what do you think? So uh, I end up going over there and spending the night. And true to form, they had a roving lieutenant in that was uh, working and he looked at me and said, you know, I haven't had this much sleep in 15 years. <laughs> Can you come back tonight? <laughs> that happened to me too. But that happened to me too. I, I, great yeah. times. Yeah. Yeah. I, I went up right before Jimmy Maritag retired. He was in the seventh division in the Bronx, the occupied North Bronx, right? <laughs> Had the best night's sleep we ever had, along with the engine and truck in the same house. We came down for coffee at 6 o'clock. The fireman was sitting around a table like this. 
<laughs> Yo, Jersey Chief, you come back anytime you want, Jersey Chief. We love you. Okay, I'll be back. Yeah, same thing for me. Couldn't couldn't catch shit. Oh my god! So I picked up something on on the net today. Uh, three three of our of our uh, uh, fire hero families, uh, three widows of three firefighters, uh, who were killed in the last two or three years, uh, got together, and uh, they've been pretty vocal lately. And, and one of them is Josh Laird's wife from from Frederick, and the other is uh, I can't remember. I I apologize for that, but it was a recent line of duty where. Uh, this this corrugated stainless steel tubing for natural gas. CSS. Lightning hit the house. It's CSST. Yeah, lightning hit the house, and and as a result, they lost their husbands and stuff. So they three them, but they they actually I wanted to let our viewing audience know that they set up something called Phoenix Advocates. They're five hundred one c three. They have a website, and they they basically it's about a firefighter safety and and lessons learned. And how what happened to their husbands, and how they they want to help other other family members, wives, and widows, and stuff. So, you know, kudos to these ladies for having the strength to pick themselves up and and you know and pull up their bootstraps, so to speak, and and do something good. It's called Phoenix Advocates, and uh, again, it's it's it kind of it it was a result of the CSST uh, fires that that their husbands succumbed to. So, uh, I wanted to mention that and give them a little bit of a plug. Um, so uh, speaking of, of <laughs> speaking of hazardous materials, uh, the lithium-ion battery saga uh, still is plaguing us in New York. We had a triple fatality on over the weekend last weekend in Brooklyn. Uh, so we have we have uh, we're, we're seven, 17 fatalities this year from from lithium-ion batteries. Uh, it's not getting any better. It's probably going to get worse. Uh, but we we've, we've, we're doing everything we can. Uh, we we recently had a we had a symposium. Yeah, I'll let you write in, Tom. But we had a symposium recently. We invited in the insurance industry. We said, "Hey, how are you handling this? You know, are you paying claims to, to building owners that are burning down their buildings with illegal batteries and that kind?" Of, so we got them thinking about it too. So we're doing everything we can. There's PSAs going on TV. If you watch the local stations here in New York, you'll see FDNY PSAs. Uh, we, we got we got good footage of, of burning scooters and bikes and don't store them in your house and blah blah blah. You know, we got shelters up now. We got 150,000 migrants that they're putting up these 10 cities all over the city. They got bikes and scooters too. They got, they got work delivering food to some of these folks. So they got bikes and they, we, you can't bring them in the tent. So they're, they're not, but we know they, they're probably yanking the battery off and taking it inside with them. So there's a whole host of problems that we're dealing with, you know. And Tommy, uh, um, I, I don't consider myself to be well versed in, in some of that stuff, but in, in my, uh, thought process, it looks like there's two big issues. One is the illegal batteries, and the second one is chargers that were not meant for the the battery that's in there. That kind of close. Yeah, no, yeah, you're spot on. And not only that, we they somebody showed us online where you can buy this device. So you, you put the charger in the wall, you plug it in, then you plug the charger into this box, and then the box to, to the battery. The box is a rapid charger. It's pulling more juice out of the wall from the charger so you can charge the bike faster. So those are all – that's another nemesis. And and at the end of the day, uh, uh, it, like I said, it's going to get worse before it gets better. Uh, there was a guy set up a cabinet outside his house. You pull up. You swipe your credit card. 
You put your battery into the charger, you open up the door, take a fresh battery, stick it in the bike, keep going. I mean, people are going into business like crazy. So when, when we find a business with apartments above, that's all illegal, we vacate the building. It's a vacate. Because that, that was the Chinatown fire we had a couple of months ago that killed four people. So if it's just a, a row of stores, if it's just a taxpayer, uh, we, we write them up, we call Hazmat, we, we take all the stock and all, all the batteries. The other thing, we're working with UL. UL's great. We just had them. We, we got a probie class of inspectors in now. Uh, they're in their 14-week academy. And uh, we had the guys from UL come and talk to to them. Uh, bogus UL labels. They're printing. Really? They're printing. Yes. So they're taking these reconditioned batteries and putting this label on with the UL in the circle. And currently, the dead giveaway is the writing under the UL thing. It, most of the English is very, very bad. You know, like this this size battery, S-I-S-E, that kind of stuff, you know, just a lot of typos. But, yeah, bo- bogus UL labels. We're running into that now, too. Wow. So, uh, you, yeah, UL is all over. And they've been a great partner with us. They, they came to that symposium with the insurance industry. And, uh, again, we had them at the academy last Monday for our inspectors class so, so they can give them an awareness of, of what to look for. So, it's still it's still an issue, and it's going to be an issue for a while longer. Uh, we don't we do not see the light at the end of the tunnel yet. The the fire commissioner she she kind of called out she called out Amazon and uh, who else Walmart called them out on TV last week and said stop selling these knockoff batteries to the people in New York City. She's I'm holding you responsible. Amazon stop shipping bad batteries. She told us so she she called out the two biggest retailers in the United States. But we don't know what else to do. We're killing people. We're killing people in the city. You know, w- one of the things that I, that I heard recently that really hadn't struck me, I was at a meeting, and the, the chief of department was in the meeting and, with, and the chief of operations, uh, Chief Hodges and Chief Esposito, and they said, the fires are so fast and so fierce coming off those batteries that, you know, we, we, we do a rope rescue about once every 10 years. We did two in four months in the middle of the day, not even at night. Wow. Middle of the day. If you, You've seen the national news. Okay, everybody's seen the rope rescues this year. There was two of them. Uh, one, one was in, I think, the Bronx, and one was in Queens or Manhattan and, and, and Brooklyn or whatever. But two rope rescues in the middle of the day in, in, in the side of three or four months. That's, that's nuts. That's nuts because the people are getting trapped in the house, you know. So uh, we're doing everything we can, public education, commercials on TV, you name it. You know, and but uh, it's it's uh, it's something that, like I said, we're we're in the middle of it, and it's uh, not great. So, uh, Ron, did you uh, by chance see the uh, Fairfax, Virginia smoke explosion that uh, was up on uh, close calls? Was that the one that the firefighter he opens up like a back door, looks like a factory or 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 a uh, taxpayer or something, and then boom? Yeah, you come out. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. I did see that. It, uh, Apparently, that fire started on the outside of the building and extended in, and uh, they're they're still not quite sure what what occurred. Was it a backdraft? Was it a smoke explosion? Trying to get down into the nitty gritty of it, but uh, Chief Butler over there in Fairfax, uh, he has always been very kind to you and I for sending the Fairfax team over for Memorial Weekend. Absolutely. And, uh, yep. I like I like the way they they wrote it up because they wrote it up as not a uh, a lessons learned fire. It was more of a lessons reinforced. 
And uh, they came up with uh, kind of a laundry list that I was going to share with you. Uh, the, the one thing, and it makes perfectly good sense, you and I have probably talked about it here a couple of times, is uh, treat every call as uh, what's going to be the biggest call of your career and be prepared to deal with that. Uh, wear your PPE properly. Never let the complacency creep in and overshadow the need to be professional. Uh, don't forget that the fundamentals are essential. And the fire always gets a vote. <laughs> I, I, really I like that one. Uh, I like that one. Never be too proud to request help and keep your ego in check. And uh, everything we do is being recorded. So just some uh, reinforced lessons there from our friends over at uh, Fairfax, Virginia. Yeah, well, that, that was I, I read that and, and I said that just well done. It's to the point. And, and, and you know what? If, 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 you, if you looked at those like once a month, like on the first of the month, you pay your rent, you pay your electric bill and you read those, it'll probably keep you on your game better. You yeah. know, and, and hang it up, hang it up in a firehouse under a frame, you know, that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, Actually, stuff I'm sure you've discovered that uh, if you want the boys to read uh, something important, uh, tack it up in front of the urinal. Yes. Yes. We've had we've had uh, urinary bulletins. I wanted to call them those. <laughs> when I was out my last job, I wanted to call it urinary bulletin and put, you know, but uh, they, they stopped me, you know. And, 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 well, like you know, you put one on the inside of the door in, in a commode, you know, to call yeah. it like a, a no a, a no shit bulletin or a no shit situation or something, you know. But uh, I, I had to stop. I had to show a little bit of decorum anyway, you know, not a lot, but a little bit. So, what could I tell you? But uh, well, Tom, it's a, it's about an hour. We're kind of winding down here. I'm not sure if there's anything else uh, that got, you would like to. Bring uh, I've got the roll when you're ready. Uh, I, I think we're ready. So go ahead. I, I know Chicago's having a real bad year. Mahako's out to those guys right off the bat. But go ahead, Tommy. Why don't you read the roll for tonight? You know, the last time we were on the air was uh, October 30th. And, and I got to tell you, it's surprising that uh, we've only had four line of duty deaths since we were last on the air. Uh, the track, well, I'll take it. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's still bad, but it's it's better than it has been. But I, I hold I hold my breath I hold my breath every December because we know December is traditionally a horrendous year, a horrendous time of the year. So uh, we'll hold our breath this year too. But go ahead, Tom. Uh, let, let, let's hear what you got. On October thirtieth, uh, Joseph Back from Whitesburg, Kentucky, uh, made the supreme sacrifice, suffering a heart attack at a scene. Uh, David Phelps from Terre Haute, Indiana, on November 2nd, also a heart attack on the scene. Uh, Thomas Peshkai from Crestwood, Kentucky, on the 11th of November, uh, a heart attack on the scene. And uh, Andrew Price from Chicago, as Ron had just mentioned, uh, fell through a skylight shaft at a structure fire, and that occurred back on November 13th. And as always, we ask, heed the lessons. Uh, we got to learn from from what those who went before us have uh, 
presented and try to operate as safely and effectively as, as possible. Also keep their, their families and loved ones in your thoughts and prayers. You know, a good friend, Frank Leap, who we're going to see in January on this show, um, when he was chief, chief of, of, the, of training and now he's chief of safety. So it was a great spot to go from one to the next. But he, he started these, uh, these kind of like what I'm doing with the historic fires and fire prevention, but he did historic uh, fires that led to line of duty deaths of New York City firemen. And they would do a, a special department order. And they say, you know, in 1928, these three guys got killed and with the lessons learned. So he just constantly, because if you think about the turnover, especially in our job, you know, with, with you know, 100 retirements a month and then a, a new probing. We've got a probing class in, in the place now, Tom, 355 kids in one class. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's mayhem at the Rock right now. Absolute mayhem. But, but, uh, but, but uh, look, it's, contro- it's controlled chaos is what it is, you know. But, but so that constant turnover of people and you want the young people, you want the young foot to come in and read those and say, you know, this happened in, in even like we have our subway simulator at the Rock. It's very, very cool. We have two subway cars on tracks with a platform. When you walk in that building, you're on a subway station. And they train in there, rescue trains in there, EMS has tech trains in there. They'll jack up, they'll put a they'll put a mannequin in between the platform and the car, and they'll they'll get the mannequin out. You know, all the stuff that really happens in New York City, you know. So, but that train station is named after a fireman who got electrocuted in 1972. Wow. Guy named I think it's Perugia, if I'm not mistaken. And it's called the Perugia station. They got it all dolled up like a regular station. So Frank started these bulletins, and 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 uh, you know, you, you, as you get them, you read, and and not just the big fire, not just the Twenty Third Street fire, or what, but you know, the, the everyday stuff where guys get got, have gotten killed over the years. As a reminder, you know, heed the lessons learned. Read, read what happened to this guy, and this is why we changed. This is why we do this procedure now because this happened to that guy. So it's 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 good stuff. So while, while I'm mentioning frankly, before we sign off for the night, folks. Uh, uh, as you know, t- t- tonight we, we're airing on, on uh, December 4th here in this particular show. But our January show, date to be determined, um, is is going to coincide with the January issue of Fire Engineering Magazine, which annually and traditionally is the fire prevention and protection issue. And we're going to have two giants from New York City, uh, Chief uh, Joe Jordan and Chief Frank Lieb. Uh, they have extensive backgrounds and stacks of resumes. Both served as volunteers. Both have been on the job over 30 years in New York City. Both served as chief of safety. Jordan was chief of fire prevention. We're going to be talking about how fire prevention, fire protection, inspections, code, and firefighter health and safety are all tied together. And you get a chance to hear it from these luminaries because these guys have been there and done that uh, a couple of times. Probably got every T-shirt and every color. So we're looking forward to our January show like we look forward to our monthly show anyway with Chief Jordan and Chief Lieb. So uh, stay tuned. And, and uh, be, being this is uh, uh, the first week in December, well, I, know I, I don't want to speak for Tom, but we want to wish everybody a happy, healthy holiday season, a happy new year. Um, uh, stay with it. Don't get complacent. We talked about complacency a lot tonight. Don't let complacency creep in. Take care of yourself. Take care of each other. Wear your gear. Wear your seatbelt. Slow down. Use your head. Stop for red. I sound like I'm signing off, right, Tommy? But uh, yeah, do do all the good things. And, and a, a side story, a side note to that: I was in a class three weeks ago at the Rock for a week. It was five days, and I was with all lieutenants and captains, and mostly young guys. They were everybody's younger than me at the job, 
I get it. And the last day on Friday, I brought in five boxes of Entenmann's donuts. You know, the, the old guy, I got the white shirt on. I said, morning, guys. I brought brain food. It's our last day. We're taking our final. Six donuts were eaten out of five boxes. That was a testament. And it was free to them. You know, if, you know we're firefighters. So everything's free. Six donuts were missing out of one box. I had four sealed boxes that never got opened. So that's a real testament to how our people are starting to think today, which I think is terrific. Good for them. Good for them. So uh, with that, again, happy holidays. Happy New Year, everybody. Tommy? You could have sent me a box. Uh, I, I will next time, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but I, I ended up keeping them and, and, and putting them out where old timers were like me, and we killed them off, so I ain't worried about that. But the young guys were already eating them. So with that, we're going we're gonna to get ready to sign off. We're going to bring our, our producer, Mark Howen, who, who does a great job with these shows. Mark, thank you as you play our outgoing music. So everybody, take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Be safe. Stay well. Be well. Tom? Stay nice safe, work. everybody. Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. The Fire Store, equipping protectors with passion. Every decision the Fire Store makes as a company is about its customers. As the holiday season has quickly approached, explore a wide selection of unique and practical gifts at the Fire Store's gift center. Find the perfect presence for firefighters, EMTs, and first responders today. The Fire Store's goal is to get you the gear you need when you need it at prices you can afford. Visit thefirestore.com for everything but the truck and shop its family of brands including Streamlight, MSA, Lion, Fleer, and more. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.